Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Amen. Thank you for the good singing this morning. We'll go ahead and dismiss our young folks. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and go back with me there to Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go there to Hebrews chapter 10. And as in our scripture reading, this will be our text for the morning. And here, let me just kind of explain to you where we are at in our study. And uh, really, this will give us uh, understanding on where the rest of the book of Hebrews is headed. And so here in the, the early chapters of the book of Hebrews, there are doctrinal arguments, if you will, or truths that are presented to encourage and and to stir up these believers in faithfulness and in their steadfastness. Now, um, if you remember, as we entered our study in the book of Hebrews, we pointed out that this is written, uh, the book of Hebrews, we believe written by the Apostle Paul, uh, to a group of uh, believers, those that had been converted or come out of Judaism. So believers with a Jewish background. And there was a great pool. There was... Uh, uh, I, even a lot of persecution upon them at this time to go back, to turn back from Christianity or, or faith in Jesus Christ uh, back to the old system, back to Judaism and back to temple worship and sacrifice and so on. And so, again, this epistle is written to, to stir up, to encourage, to exhort these professed believers in faithfulness and steadfastness. Now, this is done... Um, throughout the book in a couple of different sections. And so the, the first major section from chapter 1 all the way to about the middle of chapter 8, it presents the superiority of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw um, that Jesus Christ was superior. Um, we talked about the prophets. He was superior than the Old Testament priesthood and on. Uh, we talked about this superior to the angels and so forth. And so the first part of our study was the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we got into chapter 8 and to the point that we're here in chapter 10, the focus is the superiority of the new covenant and so we talked about the new covenant that was made by God with the nation of Israel. But as born-again believers, we benefit, we are the beneficiaries of that new covenant through faith in Jesus Christ. And so um, that is the, the early parts of chapter 10, or, or, um, or the book of Hebrews into chapter 10. And so when we get to chapter 10, starting here at verse number 19, there is exhortations, and these exhortations uh, continue from chapter 10, verse 19, all the way through the end of the book of Hebrews. And we're about to step into uh, this wonderful chapter, chapter 11, probably um, the most famous chapter in, in the book of Hebrews. We call it the, the roll call of faith or um, you, you've heard different titles for it, but in Hebrews 11, we're presented with examples of those that walk by faith or those that have walked in past times by faith in God. And so here this morning, these exhortations, as I mentioned, a series of exhortations, and there are some warnings that are sprinkled in to these exhortations. And I won't get into it deeply this morning, but if you still have that outline that I gave you, the outline of the entire book, of, of Hebrews, 
uh, you'll recognize these warnings, um, and I think we've called them there in the outline, these parenthetical exhortations or warnings throughout the book of Hebrews. And there is another one here, starting at verse 26, um, a, a, a warning against willful sin. We'll get to that next week, but that gives us kind of, a, of an overall view of where we are at now in the book of Hebrews. Now, here in Hebrews, I want you to remember what we had talked about over the last couple of weeks. We talked about the superiority of the new covenant, and last week we talked about the supreme sacrifice. Now, this was a sacrifice that was superior to the Old Testament sacrifices that were made in the temple by the high priest. These animal blood sacrifices, last week we were presented with the truth that Jesus' sacrifice is superior. It was a once-for-all effective or, or, or efficacious sacrifice that took away sin. It purged. Uh, it uh, is a sacrifice that we've recognized is a once-for-all sacrifice. And the sufficiency of that sacrifice, and we focused in on that last week. Now, when we get here to verse number 19, as we read down through 25, there are some of these let us statements. And in particular, there are three here. You might remember um, early in our study, there was another series of these let us statements, but I think these are key for us um, that will help us to, in our minds, outline the passage and will help us to really receive what the Lord desires for us here. Now, write these down quickly, and we're going to go through each of them individually, these let us statements. Um, the first one there, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. The second one there, let us hold fast. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And then the last one there, let us provoke one another. Let us provoke one another. And so we're going to look at those three this morning. Now, let's look back at our, our passage where we started in verse 19, and we'll read there together. Look there with me at chapter 10, verse 19. It says, "...having therefore, brethren..." boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now, let me point something out to you. That first phrase there, having therefore. Now, this is pointing to something that was previously discussed. When we see that word therefore, or sometimes we see the word wherefore, it has the idea of uh, based upon this understanding or with these established truths in mind or on this basis, listen now to what is being said. And so the, the therefore here, having therefore brethren, boldness to enter. And so there was a means of access to God that we're talking about here that was presented in the previous chapter and that that means of access to God is the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that Christ made. That sacrifice of Himself, the shedding of His blood for the remission of sins. The, the purging, the cleansing us of sinfulness into a right relationship with God. And having that established truth, He says, Now, or having therefore, brethren, again He's talking to believers here, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And so this first exhortation that I want to talk to you about, it really is not mentioned in the passage until 
we get to verse 22, but again, it, it points this direction here. And so I'm going to read down a little bit. Verse 20, it says, By a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, speaking of Jesus' body, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us. And so, again, that therefore, again, it's pointing to these exhortations. Let, let us draw near. In the first verse there, in verse 19 that we looked, it says, having therefore boldness to enter into the holiest. And so this drawing near points to this, again, entering into the holiest, this access to God. Verse 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so number one, as we talk about these let us statements this morning, I want you to write this down in your notes. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Now, I want you to think in it, about it in this manner. This is you and I entering into the presence of God. Now, I understand, and I think you understand with me, that at this, this moment, we are not speaking of physically entering into the presence of God. Now we know that, that one day we are going to enter as a child of God into His physical, glorious presence. But, but right now, this is used in a, in a figurative sense. And I'll point this out and speak about it in greater detail in a few moments, but you know, this, this entering in or this drawing near to God, this is all in the context of us drawing near in our prayer. Drawing near in, in our prayer. This continual free access to God that we have through, uh, through prayer. It says, let us draw near. Now, here it speaks about entering the holiest in verse number 19. Entering the, the holiest. Now, if you remember, we talked about the tabernacle just a few weeks ago. Um, and we, we saw as there was a comparison that was made. There was the earthly tabernacle. And then there was the heavenly tabernacle, the tabernacle not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. And we, we, we talked about the, the divisions or the sections of that tabernacle. And we talked about the holy place, but then we talked about the holy of holiest there, the, the second part. That, there was a veil dividing, and that veil, it, it, uh, it, it hindered access to the holiest there. Now, that holiest place, the holiest of holies, is where... The, the high priest would go once a year during the Day of Atonement and make sacrifice there. We talked about that process last week. And that holiest place where only the high priest could go only once a year in the Old Testament system, again, that represented the presence of God. And so when it speaks of the holiest here, it speaks about entering into the presence of God. Now, Jesus' flesh, His body... Is, is lifted up here as an analogy of that veil. And it is through Jesus that we gain access to the presence of God. And that is the veil that is, is spoken of here. But we're talking about this, this holy place, the, the holiest, entering the holiest, the, the heavenly place where Christ has already entered. Let me point out a passage. Look just in the last chapter there, chapter 9, where we were just at just a few weeks ago, chapter 9, verse 11. Look there with me. Chapter 9, verse number 11. The Bible says there, But Christ, being an high priest of good things to come, 
by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now again, this, this points to this free access to God. That's where he entered there once into the holy place, obtaining eternal redemption for us. And so Christ has entered. He is our great high priest who has passed through the heavens into the very presence of God, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, it is into his presence that, that we are exhorted to, to go here in this passage. Now, we were there in Chapter 9 and verse 11 and 12, look, look down to verse number 24 there with me. Chapter 9, verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, not to appear, in the, or now, excuse me, now to appear in the presence of God. Notice that last phrase, for us. So this is where... Our Savior, our great high priest, he's passed through the heavens into the very presence of God. And that is where we are exhorted to draw near. Let us draw near with a, with a true heart. Now this, this entering here, this, this drawing near, I remind you how in verse number 19 and also in previous passages there that we've read and studied up to this point, we are encouraged to, to come to draw near in boldness. Verse number 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter. I want to remind you about the, the, the fear and trembling that the high priest had as he entered into that holy place. Listen, he knew that it was a place that meant serious business. He knew that if he did not go in there in the means and the manner in which God has prescribed that he would be killed, that he would, he would die. And he, he approached that place with, with very great caution and fear and trembling. Listen, in contrast to how we are exhorted to draw near here with boldness, with boldness. Now, it is not our boldness or a boldness or a, an arrogance that is from man or from self that we are to enter, but, but our access, our, our, our boldness and entrance into the presence of God has been made for us by Jesus Christ. It's through Him we have access and, and boldness to enter into the very presence of God. And we must keep that in mind. It's not by our own merit. It's not by our own means. Only through Jesus Christ we can have boldness to approach the Father. If you remember our series in the model prayer, as that prayer begins, it starts like this, Our Father, which art in heaven. And that is the, listen, that is the access that we have. He's our, he is our Father. Listen, we are adopted into the family of God. We are saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a, an important subject that, that is for us. Now, to, to enter. How are we to enter into God's presence having boldness or great confidence? Uh, the confidence is not in our worthiness, but it's in Christ's worthiness. It's in His sacrifice that He has made. Now, we're encouraged here, exhorted to go in boldness. It has the idea of, of speaking freely and 
I, I hesitate to use the, the terminology here, but it has the idea of freedom of speech. Now, in our culture, we you know, greatly misuse this idea of the freedom of speech. Um, and I won't delve into that right now, but, but here, when, maybe if, when you think of freedom of speech, you, you think of something with a negative connotation, or you think of you know, that in terms to our society today. But this, this speaks about a frankness before God. I, I referred to it early in our study of a, of a pouring out of our heart before God. We come with boldness. We, we come with, with, with confidence in, a, in an outpouring of our heart, knowing that our God, our Father which is in heaven, is desirous to hear from us. And this, this presence or fellowship with God, it's, it's something scripturally that we are, we are encouraged to take advantage of. The book of James says this, draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Now there are some specifics there in James of how we are to draw nigh. There's the confession of sin and so on there in the right, in the, in the right manner. But this encouragement, exhortation to us is to draw nigh to God, draw near to God, come to him in boldness and frankness of speech and outpouring of our heart before God. Now this and I ask you to look back there with me in verse number 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now this is important for us this morning. A true heart and with a full assurance of, of faith. Now, a true heart. Let's think about this for a few moments. I, I've been talking about this all through our study. There have been some who had professed faith in Christ but yet, they were, they were turning back. They were, um, they were, as we've called this and defined the term, they were becoming apostate. They were, they were turning back to the former ritual, the former sacrifice, the former high priest. And in their turning back, in their apostasy, it's a, a denial of Jesus as the true Savior is Jesus as the Messiah, the, the one who has, has purchased redemption for us. And this, this turning back is continually exhorted against. Uh, they are to, to, to take note of, uh, in these warnings, of the, the opportunity uh, of the, the pull to turn back. And so when it says, with a true heart, it has the idea. This is opposite to counterfeit. This is... This is an opposite to what we would refer to as a, a, a pretending or a putting on. And so this is uh, coming to him in, in, in reality as one who is seeking him. Not putting on, not putting on a facade, not as a, as a false professor who, who really doesn't know Christ or trust Christ as Savior, but to, to come to God in a true heart. And let me just kind of slow down for a few moments, and I want to address this. This is, this is so important for us to get. Listen, it, uh, it's one thing to say with our mouths that we profess Jesus as our Savior, but it's one, uh, another thing to have that truth, that reality that we've received by faith in our hearts. Now, this is, this is so important. 
Our, our faith is displayed by our actions. Now, we don't get saved based upon what we do, but our actions, our service, our, our good works that follow salvation are, are proofs. They are evidences of our salvation. And we have talked about this through our study, but to come to, to the Lord in a, in a true heart and in a, 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 a heart that is not counterfeit or not pretend, it's not put on, it's not just in word only, but it's real, it's authentic. And, and that's what we need this morning. Listen, it, it wouldn't make a bit of difference for, for you to fool me about your salvation or you to fool your family or you to fool anybody else. What, what matters is your standing before God. Is your heart right? Is it pure? Is your profession of faith, is it real or is it just pretend? Is it just a facade? Listen, I can tell you in my life as a teenager, I grew up in church my whole life as, as a teenager. My faith wasn't toward God in a true heart, but my faith was pretend. I had, I had done what people wanted me to do. When when someone asked me about my salvation and told me what I needed to do, listen, I, I went through the motions there, and outwardly there was, there was conformity, but inwardly there was, no, there was no work of God that was performed. Now, it's not the fault of God, and it's not to point to any inability of God, but the fault, the, the, the responsibility lay on, on my life because I wasn't truly seeking God or coming to God through Jesus Christ. I was just going through the motions. I was, I was pretending. Have you ever heard of the term playing church? You ever heard of that? Playing church? There's a lot of folks that just play church. Put on some nice clothes, take a Bible. You come and sit in a church house or sit among other people and other believers. But yet, there is no heart response to the preaching. There's no heart response to the truth. You're just going through the, emo the, the emotions here. And... And that's what we are to avoid. We are to, to enter. We are to, we're to come before Him with this pure heart, with a true heart. And, and that would be important. Now, I, I pointed this out as, a, as an example of, of what happens in the lives of, of false professors or, or pretend believers, if you will. But, you know, again, I want to remind you, verse number 19, he's speaking to believers here. And I, I don't want to, to try to pull out a point out of context, but... Here, in, in reality, in, in sincerity, a true heart, that's how we're to come to God. Just as we come to God in salvation, in sincerity, wanting to, to receive Him as our Savior, to trust Him as our only means of heaven, after our salvation, we must continue to come to God in sincerity. Have you ever recognized that sometimes your prayers, they're not sincere? You come to God and you go through the motions. Listen, I have a, uh, I put it away already, but I have a prayer list that we took this morning in our prayer time. You know, it is, it is, uh, you know, a, a, a habit sometimes to pick up that prayer list and just pray down that list just to pray down the list. It's a habit for us, you know, just to go to a certain time or to come to, to the church and we bow our heads during prayer time and, and we may utter a prayer but my question is this morning, is it sincere? Do you think about what you're praying about? Are you thinking about the one in who you're praying to? Is it real? Or are you just playing church? You're just going through the motions. You know what happens when we go through the motions of prayer and it's not sincere? They don't go any higher than the ceiling. 
You know, I think about the, the Pharisees that Jesus rebuked in the Gospels. You know, they had beautiful prayers. They, 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 were, they were praying. The, the Bible spoke of one that was praying thus with himself. You know, as I think about that, sometimes often in a lack of sincerity, we're not, we're not praying to God, but we're just, we're just saying words. And in essence, we're just talking with ourselves. Now, God knows who we are. He knows where we're at. He knows the inability of, of, our, of our human nature often. But yet, I think a lot of times this is understood, but it's just neglected. A, a thoughtful mindset of sincerity coming before God. I'm going to tell you, that's what we need today. We need in 2022 sincere believers that love God, that recognize this access we have to God through Jesus Christ, and with a heart that's true, a heart that's pure, in sincerity come before God and seek Him. We need real Christians in this day that we live in. There is enough people out there pretending there's enough people out there that are just going through the motions of religion. I'm going to say this, that it's not religion that we need. It's a relationship daily in our walk with Jesus Christ that we need. That's what we need this morning. We need, we need sincerity and true hearts. We're exhorted here. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. You know, this full assurance, it has the idea of not doubting. It is the, the most certain confidence. And I ask you this morning, are you sure of your faith? Are you sure of it? There were some among these that this epistle was written to that were in doubt. They were in question. They were struggling. They were on the, the brink of decision to go back or to continue on. And they are encouraged to come with boldness, to come with a sincere heart, with, with a, a confidence here, with this full assurance of faith. The full assurance of faith as we speak out about this passage, you know, this is, this is a, a, a means in which, or a, a mindset, I should say, in which we should come before God. Let me remind you, just hold your place there, go back to chapter 4, and let me point this out real quickly, and we'll move on. In chapter 4, and look there with me at verse 14. Verse 14. Chapter 4 and verse number 14. The Bible says there, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Here's those let us statements I mentioned. Let us hold fast our profession. The Bible says... For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, here's familiar wording, come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see the connection there with our prayer life. Not a, a physical at this moment entering in, but, a, but a, a entering in, an approach to God. Let us therefore come in boldness, frankness of speech, before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help. Listen, that's what we need this morning. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace. We need the help of God in time of need. That's what we are in right now. I think you could categorize every day of your life as a time of need because we need God every moment of every day. And so here, this exhortation, the basis of it is 
this continual free access that we have to the throne of grace, to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And you know, this ought to be something that stands out to us, that is just important to us. Now, think about this. The access is open, but are we, are we entering in? Are we entering in? The, the way has been made, but notice this. God's not going to kick us through the door. The, the access has been open, but we have to, we have to enter in. We, we have to come. We have to come boldly to, before God. The invitation is made, but will we accept? Will we walk in this manner in our life? Now, again, this is the basis of this is our prayer life before God. So, so, so why? why? Why is this so important? Why should we take advantage of this, this access to God? Let's look back at our passage there. Verse number 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, so here we are, or we're able, I should say, to, to enter into the presence of God because this barrier that was there has been removed. Again, the likening of the veil and the body of Jesus. And we know in the, at the crucifixion when Jesus had laid down his life and those words were uttered that it is finished. The veil in the temple was written in two. And this, again, is a, is a picture of what we're talking about here in this passage. The, the way the access to God has been made possible through the shedding of blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our access. That is our door. That is our entering in. And so here in the passage, it speaks about... Now this, uh, uh, this, this wonderful access that we have. Again, we are, verse number 23, let's, or excuse me, verse 22, draw near unto, um, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. Listen, this is, this is the, the working of God in our life. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. It, it speaks of, a, of an inward work and our bodies washed with, with pure water. Again, this speaks of that. That, that outward work of God, this work of, of sanctifying, of conformity into the will and the ways of God. So we have ability to enter in the presence of God. Our hearts have been sprinkled from an, inner, uh, from an evil conscience. That's the, the inward man. And let me just kind of point this out briefly. Uh, we talked about the, the sprinkling of the blood of those animal sacrifices there um, that the high priest would come in. He would sprinkle it upon the altar. And we, we, we pointed to that. And again, Exodus chapter 29, uh, we have the, the, the foreshadowing of this work that God has done in us and, and uh, upon our lives to the ceremonial sacrifice that was performed there in the Old Testament. This this sprinkling here from an evil conscience speaks about the inner man and the, the washing of water. Uh, here it speaks about the work, the sanctifying work there upon the outer man, the conformity there. And so here we recognize the importance of this act, the, the, the taking away, the purging of our sin. And our sin was purged. It had, it had lasting effect in that it was taken away. And that sin that was taken away, it was to be remembered no more. Now let's go on to that, that next let us statement. Here in the passage of verse number 23, the Bible says, Let us hold fast. 
the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. Let us hold fast. So we're exhorted here to, to hold fast the profession of, of faith. Hold fast the profession of faith. Now, I mentioned this a couple times already, that they had made a profession of faith in Christ, but they were to hold to that. They're holding to that. It was, again, not something that would keep them saved, but the holding to that profession of faith would reveal the reality if that profession was real or not. Now, to, to turn back, again, that is not a, a work or not an action that is described by a true believer or is descriptive of a true believer. A, a true believer shows the sincerity of heart by faithless continuing on. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. We don't continue in good works to keep ourselves saved, but it's the visible evidence of our salvation. As we walk with God, as we live our life for the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the evidence of true faith in Christ. And they are encouraged to hold fast, to continue in, in that very walk, in the profession of faith that they've made. Now, I want you to... Uh, to, to recognize that there is, there is a danger that is warned against, not only here in the next few verses, but throughout the rest of the epistle, or, or formerly in the epistle of apostasy. And I, I've already explained it again this morning, but I, I want you to, to recognize that this thing of apostasy, this was not something that was only going on in the believers or among the professing Christians in this day that the book of Hebrews was written. Apostasy is a very real thing today. It's a very real thing. Apostasy is a turning away from the truth. It is a rejection of the truth that has been delivered. And here it, it has the, the idea, the, the truth that has been delivered and been to some surface level received but only to be turned away from at a later time. And again, that's the exhortation. Or that, that is the, the warning that is here that is tied up into these let us statements. Let us hold fast. Now, I've been, I've been doing this for a little, little while now. I've been pastoring since uh, 2003. And, you know, it's a sad thing, but, I, but I've seen... I've seen believers or professing believers that have come and made a profession of faith publicly among the body of believers only to, at a later date, go back out into the world and go back out to their former life before salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, the question arises, well, well pastor, were they truly saved or were they not saved? Listen, I can honestly say um, we, we cannot necessarily judge that based upon action, but there's, there's salvation. The, the inward heart of man, it is only visible by God. We can't see inwardly to the heart of man. And it would be wrong for us to, to judge in that sense when everybody that left or everybody that, that fell in sin after salvation was not really saved at all. Listen, we can't necessarily say that, but it's a sad thing to see people nonetheless who would profess profess faith in Christ only to go back out into the world. Only to step away from the preaching of the truth and biblical doctrine in a, in a way of, of life, a, a new walk in Jesus Christ to the old sinful way of living, to the old man, in the old direction. And I want to say this this morning that none of us are above that today. And what I mean by that, we're all vulnerable to that. 
Every one of us. Say, what about you, Pastor? I'm vulnerable to that. Um, we, we are all, though saved sinners. Listen, that's what we are. We're saved sinners. And there's a world out there that is on the attack. There's a devil out there that is very real, and the, the opposition is great. We've got to be careful not to get caught up in the flow and the pull and to walk or turn our back on the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I'm going to say this. That, that's, that's not, that, that is not descriptive or uh, you know, that's not uh, indicative of, of a true Christian's walk. I know there's been times in my life after salvation and the early years of my salvation where there was some backsliddenness or, um, you know, I had you know, slipped away or stepped out into sin or I wasn't living right in a season in my life. And, and even, you know, all of us, we, we recognize those times in our life. But you know what uh, is, uh, is, is important today or is indicative of true salvation today is, look, that you're here. You're back, you're back among God's people. You're back in fellowship with God. The Bible says that if, if we sin, we are to confess our sin because He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. When we fall, when we, when we sin in our life, listen, it's not that we should continue on that, that path that leads to destruction in our life. We ought to get right. We ought to repent. We ought to come back to God in fellowship with Him. Now here... The, the danger was there, the danger of apostasy. These, uh, these warnings are given many times throughout the, the epistle, and so they were, to, they were to hold fast. Now, one thing I want to point out to you there in verse number 23, it says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. That word that's translated faith there in, in verse, number, uh, verse number 23, 53 other times, that, that word faith is translated into the word hope. And, you know, it has the idea of that profession of faith, that profession of hope. And listen, our, our faith, our hope is in Jesus Christ. This, this same idea is presented to us again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1. Look there with us. We know this is the, the description or the definition, if you will, of faith. It says in 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now, this is interesting. We've been talking about that evidence of salvation. We, we can't see the true or sincere faith in someone's heart. We don't know truly by looking at them where their hope lies. But the Bible says here that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not, not seen. And here they are exhorted in verse number 24 um, the Bible, or verse number 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Listen, a, a person that is wavering, he is, as the Bible describes, like a ship upon the sea, he's tossed to and fro. And we are, we are not to, to waver, but we're to be solid, we are to be planted, we are to be anchored in the anchor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here, the Bible says, and we're going we're gonna to move on to this, this next one because I want to spend some time on that in verse number 24. Let's look there together. Verse 24, it says, let us, the third let us statement, let us consider one another. Now, this is, this is really important for us. This is, this is so important for us because in this, 
in these exhortations, this let us challenge that's laid before us. Um, and I believe it is a challenge. It won't be accomplished easily. But yet here, we are encouraged by the fact that we're not in this alone. The Bible says, let us consider one another. Now, one of the great studies in the, in the Bible is those one another statements. Uh, let us love one another. Let us, you know, on and on. The one another statements. And the Bible says here, let us consider one another. That means that we're to be mindful of our brothers and sisters in Christ, the professing believers that are around us. We're to consider them, to look upon them with intent and care and concern for their spiritual well-being, for their walk before the Lord. Where are they at? Now, this is the, the philosophy of our world, of, of our culture, the philosophy is, if I don't care for me, then nobody will care for me, and I'm going to seek to care for me because I'm important. And you know the selfish mentality that is characteristic of our culture. And I want to encourage you, don't, don't allow that to seep into your Christian life. The Christian life is not a life to be lived in isolation. It is not a life that has been meant to, to, to separate ourselves from other believers and hide ourselves away. We need one another. We are exhorted to consider one another, to be mindful and thoughtful of one another. Now, I'm, I love the fact that we have, and, and through the last couple of years, we've been challenged in this, that we haven't been able to meet together as much as we want to. We, we've had some times we had to close for a couple of weeks. And, and, and you know, we, we've seen the difficulty of the situation that we're in. And we've used live stream. We're still using live stream services this morning. And I'm sure there's people at home that are, that are watching me, that are hearing my voice right now. And, you know, I understand. I understand the situations and when folks are sick or folks are vulnerable to sickness. And I, I understand that. I don't want you to, um, to, you know, think I'm having a lack of compassion here. But the Christian life is not meant to be lived by ourselves. It's a wonderful thing that we have online service. But I want to speak to the folks that are watching me on, the, on, on YouTube, on the camera right now. Uh, you need these people and we need you. Yeah. Uh, church and fellowship, it cannot be experienced in separation digitally or through a video. And there may be times when that, that is a necessity, and I realize that, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be careful here, but yet, you know, there's a lot that have just adapted this mindset. This is just how it's going to be from now on. They've decided, not because of necessity, but they decided because of comfort, that it's easier to watch church online than it is to come and to be among God's people. I'm going to tell you, we need one another. Why? Because the dangers of apostasy are there. The dangers of going back, the, the dangers of falling away, the, the dangers of backsliding in your Christian life are real, and we need to be considering one another and helping one another. I'm going to tell you, let, let me remind you here that all of us need encouragement. I, I'm your pastor, but I need to be encouraged in the things of the Lord. I've seen too many pastors fall in sin. Men that I know that, that were, uh, were men of God and walking with God have, have fallen in sin and it breaks my heart. Listen, I, I don't want any of you to, to end up in that way. To, to fall in sin, to be, to be drawn away and, and to have, have sin rule in your body through your yielding it, yieldingness to it. Now, the Bible says here, 
And this is important for us. I know that this, this verse has been used a lot of times out of context in verse 25. And I know you've heard preaching on this verse before, but let me, let me explain and let's interpret the verse in context to where we're at in the book of Hebrews. Verse 24, it says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. And so there were some people among these professing believers that were forsaking the assembly together. And the reason they're doing this was probably because, and this is some of my own thoughts here, it's probably because of the persecution. It was probably because of the recognition that if I associate myself or if I, if I mix myself with these people, I'm going to be looked at as one that has rejected Judaism, rejected the way of our forefathers, forefathers and turned to Jesus Christ and salvation, and, and there's going to be repercussions of that. There are others who had stepped out in that direction but were sliding back and they had quit coming and gathering around those that professed faith in Christ and the danger for full-blown apostasy was there. And so in the context here, this assembling was a necessity. This assembly or the lack of assembling was indicative of apostasy. It was the, the visible evidence of those that had turned back as the manner of some is. Listen, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Now, let, let me point this out, that the reason that we assemble together, we know the primary reason, again, not addressed specifically in the passage, but our primary reason of assembling together is to glorify God. Uh, we, we recognize this. This is really the, the, the purpose and the obligation of, of your life and mine as a believer, to glorify God and to obey His commandments, to serve Him. And that ought to be top on our priority list to glorify God. But as we come together, listen, that's what we do. We praise God. We glorify God. We worship God. But we also, we, we exhort one another. We exhort one another. Why do we need that? Because there is the risk, there is the danger of apostasy. You know, one thing that results out of the sincere devotion in these one another uh, exhortations, the thing that results out of this is really, it's authentic Christianity. This church, listen, it needs believers that will provoke others to love, provoke others here, as the Bible says, as we're, we're exhorting to provoke to love and to good works, to stir these things up. Now, I'm going to use a couple of our people as an example. I hope they won't be upset with me. I didn't ask permission of this, but um, Brother Lance, can I use you as an example? You can say no. All right. And Brother John, I, I want to use you as an example as well for just a moment here. Um, over the last year, uh, both of these two men have come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, um, both of them had previously in their life at one time made a profession of faith. Am I correct? I, I made a profession of faith. But just a few months ago, Brother John came to me and, and he told me, he said, Brother, I realized, and he, he was telling me about the, after going through the series in 1 John, the evidences of true faith and belief. He says, you know, Pastor, I realized that I wasn't really saved. And, and Brother John shared with me that, you know, he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And Brother, are you saved now? Are you saved now, Brother? Yes, I am. Amen. Amen. 
Amen, brother. And and in 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 like manner, just this past uh, couple of week, I guess you know, past weekend, last weekend, brother Lance called me and he said, Pastor, he said I realized I wasn't saved, and, and you know, what well, was important here? Listen. True faith in Jesus Christ. Brother Lance put his faith and trust in Christ for salvation. And, and listen, let, let, me, let me explain this to you. Here in the assembling together of believers, there's been some provoking to love and to good works. There has been a, a love. Have you felt loved as you've been here at this church? Amen. Listen, I know at this church, amen, brother, I, I know at this church, people go out of their way to love others. People go out of their way to stir up people and encourage them to serve God and to live for God. I'm going to tell you, that's what this church is all about. We, we are here to worship God and to glorify Him, but we're also here, we gather together to provoke one another to love and to good works. And let me say again, that's something we can't do by extension. So well, what is the result of that? It's true faith in Jesus Christ. It's a faith that lasts, that remains. It is a sincere faith, a true conversion. And I'm going to tell you, that this this exhortation is, is what we need. Now, let me give you kind of a, a, a negative side to this, and really not negative to what we have here, but how this is in a negative way applied in a lot of churches. A lot of times there is a desire to love, and there, there, there is a desire to, in churches to have loving acceptance but that loving and acceptance, it's, it's often sought by a divorce of the truth, by a turning from truth. And the idea here is that love and acceptance among the believers or professing believers is more important than, than the truth. Now, let me remind you that, that this, uh, these let us statements, they're centered around verse number 19, having therefore, they're centered around that knowledge, the truth, of the Word of God, of Jesus Christ as the true and only Savior. We, we can't separate truth and, and put truth aside in a desire just to have more of a loving church. Now, the greatest way that we can love each other is in the truth. It's in the truth. Truth, let me say this, truth is the glue that holds the church together. Listen, if, if we don't have absolute truth to cling to, listen, we don't have much. If Without the truth of the Word of God, this is not a, a church. This is, this is not a, a born-again, called-out assembly of believers. Without the truth of God, this is nothing more than just a social club. This is just a community gathering. Listen, we need the truth. And as we receive the truth, listen, that's what we are to be exhorting one another in. That's what we're to be provoking one another in. The good works that come from a knowledge of His commands. Now, we need that. The result of that is, is evident in, in this body of believers. And I praise God for that. Listen, I'm, I'm rejoicing that people are, are getting saved and that God is at work here but let us be mindful of this, and I'm, I'm going to close. Let, let us be mindful of this. 
this forsaking of the assembly of ourselves together, this is indicative of apostasy. This is a characteristic of apostasy. We need to be in fellowship together. Notice the verse there, verse 25. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now there is some, a little bit of controversy, I would say, over what the day is in this passage. But I think in context with what we've been studying here, the, the day is the day of judgment. As we've already approached the subject, the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That the day is, is the return of our Savior, the one that has been exalted, has been, has been resurrected, ascended to the heavens. Listen, that very Jesus is going to return in like manner. The day of judgment is upon us. The, the day, these last days that we live in are coming to an end. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to judge this world. Now, we, we recognize that. I don't know how many times I've heard people in this church say that it's, it's soon. The Lord is coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. I believe that, that this day is approaching. It says so much more as you see the day approaching. You know what that tells me? That as we recognize this world is getting worse and worse, that this, this world is, is crying out against God and the judgment of God is coming, the more we recognize that, the more we need to assemble together. I, I'm going to tell you folks, listen, just one hour a week is not going to cut it in the culture we live in. We, we have all that other time out there all week long that is an attack on us. It is a... a, a an oppression, opposition against us, and we think that we're going to remedy that or we're going to escape that pull or that pressure or that testing and that trial in our faith by just coming to church just for a minimal amount of time. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, folks. I know we can walk with God outside of the four walls of this church. And I hope you are. I hope you're in your Bible and you're in your prayer time and, and you're out witnessing and you're spending time in your family uh, in the Word of God and before the Lord. But I want to point to the necessity here of this assembling together. The context is here. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. I don't know about you, but I need more assembling. I need more assembling. I need to be here as often as possible. You know, as I was laying out some of our meetings this year, we're going to have two revival meetings this year. I was laying out the time frame there. We'll you know, have it from Sunday to Wednesday. And you know, I started thinking about this. There used to be a time in our country when, when revivals, they started, and a lot of times they were two weeks long. And if the Lord was at work in the hearts of those people, they didn't stop. They just kept on having church meeting every night. The revival meetings carried on. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a seven-day revival from Sunday to Sunday in, in, you know, in schedules in church. Some, I'm sure they, some have them. But, you know, a lot of times these meetings, they, they happen from, you know, two nights a week or just a, a Friday, Saturday night back to church on Sunday and say, well, well why is that? And, you know, the, the sad reality is because nobody would come. Because nobody's willing to give that much of their time to a church meeting for, for seven days or for two weeks. Or, you know, there's a time in our country when revival, when, when revival meetings were held that, uh, you know, schools would let out so people could go to revival. 
Uh, the factories would close. So, so the people would be let off work so people could go to the revival meetings. And the revival meetings were the, they were the, the, the draw, the attraction in town at that time. People were going to hear the word of God being preached. Would you recognize with me that, that our world is much worse now than it was back in those days in our, in our country? Would you recognize what that mean? It, it is it is, it's worse and worse. So would you say we need less church or more church? Would we need less assembling or more assembling? I'm going to say, listen, we are not the exception to this. The more we separate ourselves from the body of believers, listen, the, the more we become vulnerable to the challenges of this world. Listen, if you in your mind say that I am strong enough to withstand, listen, you're already on dangerous ground. That pride, that confidence that says, I'm strong enough, I am able, I, I can do it, I, I know. And listen, I know challenges are out there that, you know, we, we are busy people now. The, the, the inflation, there's a need to make money, there's a need to make means, uh, you know, uh, to pay our bills and all those things. I, I recognize that. But I'm asking this morning, where's your heart? Where's your heart? Is your, is your heart fixed upon the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ? Or is your heart fixed upon making money so you can have some stuff that, listen, as a child of God, you're going to leave behind real soon. Amen? Let us, listen, let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider one another. Let's stand together. We're going to bow our heads and seek the Lord's help this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Lord, I've, I've, I've come before you, Lord. I've, I've poured my heart out before your people. I pray, Lord, that, that you would do what I cannot do. Lord, that in all of my uh, insufficiency and imperfection, Father, that you would work in the heart of your people through your word. Lord, I, I pray that the word of God was preached faithfully. I, I pray that, Lord, that it will, it will touch the heart of man as no, as no man can do. Lord, we seek you. Lord, we want to have a church of of true born-again believers. Lord, we want to have a, a church that is not in line with this world or just caught up in the flow of culture, but a, a church that is, is separated, a church that is, is sanctified and on our way to heaven. Father, I, I pray that you'd open our eyes to the need of the hour. Lord, I pray that here in this assembly this morning that there would be believers who had a bold confidence to approach, to draw near, to come unto the throne of grace. Lord, that there would be a strong desire to hold fast, to hold our ground, but to progress forward, to continue our walk of faith in Jesus Christ until He returns. And Father, I pray again we could consider one another. Lord, help us to know we're not in the battle alone. We need help, and we can help. Father, I pray that Lord, that you would Lord, renew in our hearts a fresh desire to assemble together. Lord, not just to have a, a good number here every service, not for man, not for our own self-esteem, but, Father, for our help, for our, our spiritual uh, nourishment and strength, Lord, that we could be such a people that are provoking one another, that there's a stirring up of love and good works toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we submit to you this morning. I pray that we'd have, or you'd have your way in our hearts. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's take our hymnals. Amen. Let's take our hymnals and let's turn to page number 154.